We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we get started today, I want to let you know that we are again sponsored by Circle Rock. Uh, if you are looking to add to your closet or looking for a last-minute holiday gift, check out Circle Rock Menswear at CircleRock.com. You can use the code ZONE25 today and receive a $25 gift card for your next Circle Rock purchase. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast, and we are brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Today is December 19th, Charlie, which means that it has been 22 days since the Timberwolves have won a basketball <laughs> game. What but a just, lead. It, it, that just makes podcasts less fun. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, we're t- I'm totally used to the Timberwolves being a losing team, but it just, a losing streak like, I don't even, there's, there's so little to latch on to and it's it's not fun to just come on and talk about everything being bad totally yeah it's not uh-uh. not at all you want to like you know back in the talk like wiggins levine's rookie year there uh-huh. was there's still something like intriguing about yeah. that team right you know i tuned in to watch him because you're like what what is uh what is zach levine gonna you know tune turn into and there was the like the future was yeah. was ahead, and not that this team is like at their peak or anything like that. There's no. a future ahead for them too, and growth to come from their best players. But it feels different to lose eight in a row when your best player is Carl Anthony Towns rather than. Well, that rookie. all just gets tired. Yeah. Like they're definitely not at their peak, but you can only say that and get excited about that for so long without seeing like tangible growth right. toward it, like real tangible growth. And it was like. 18 games into this season, they were 10 and 8. And the chatter is kind of like, you know what? You know, maybe they won't be amazing, but at least this team is fun and they're easy to root for. And I like the camaraderie and all that. And it's amazing how quickly it can just flip on its head if there's not like good 
grace, goodwill built up. Sure. And it, 10 games later, it can be like, this is, you know, the least entertaining thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I, um, not for no, me no, no. Yeah. But, but that, like, that uh, narrative totally yeah. it sinks in. Um, yeah. I, I think within the organization, obviously they wouldn't have rather them not have started out hot. Oh yeah. But, but they, you know, they're kind of, you know, they're feeling it where, starting hot, set up some expectations, and then you kind of connect that to the bottom of the Western Conference falling out. Mm-hmm. And you're like, they were, they were seven and four, they were 10 and eight. And as we've been talking about, the playoffs were a real, appeared to be a real possibility. And then uh, Krasinski always says that it's, uh, it's like Charlie Brown and kicking the football and then it's pulled away from you again. Yeah. And, and that's just what the Timberwolves fan base just kind of feels like, oh, they're, they're they, they, uh, I, they fooled I, me again. I would, if I were, um, had a, like a real skin in the game of, of how the fan base is reacting to all this, I would have preferred they started off slower because I thought they did a really good job over the course of the summer with hiring Rosas and hiring Saunders and setting the, the scene of like, look, we have a long-term vision. We're going to be aggressive and seeing it through, but like, this isn't our year. You know, we're going to put like mm-hmm. this infrastructure in place to build something that's more meaningful than has been seen and like people, I think people latched onto that, but then like you're saying, starting off hot and seeing this. And looking really good. And looking really good. And like the two biggest things you could have dreamed, or three even with Wiggins improving, but really the two biggest things, Cat improving on defense at the beginning of the season and the team improving on defense. And then like. And Wiggins. Well, and Wiggins. And so like all these things are happening and then it's just, it's amazing. Football's gone. Football's gone. Um, Today, we're going to get into, I think, three things, really. Um, the cause of this eight-game losing streak, what, uh, just having gone through the numbers a little bit, the the things that are bad, uh, just to the eye test, really show up numerically, and and a, the, the few things that I think have gone well over these past three weeks, those kind of show up a little bit, too. Um, so, so we'll dig into those. Um, we'll also hit on kind of the more... The, the human side of it or the, the player side of it where the, the eight-game losing streak seems to be you know, taking a toll on, on these players. Obviously, Robert Covington was uh, benched to start the, the last game, and it's only natural to kind of connect that to, for, for a fan to connect that to, you know, he's disgruntled or whatever, trade, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that. And then uh, a really outward Gorgie Jing kind of explosion, explosion, on, on the bench also at the end of that New Orleans game. So I think that's kind of worth noting, and we can dig into that. And then also you and I, we watched uh, the Denver Nuggets and Portland Trailblazers play against each other. Those are the Wolves' next two opponents. So I, it, it is always nice that we could we can kind of go into other teams. You know, yeah. like yeah. Uh, obviously we'll be looking at Denver and Portland as how they match up with the Wolves in, in that sense, but also just... Those are two interesting teams. And that's the Wolves' next two opponents. Yes, they yeah. play they play Denver on Friday and then back-to-back head straight from Denver to Portland for Saturday night. So, I mean, if they're going to stop the uh, bleeding at all, I mean, I think it's pretty important to be competitive, maybe pick up one of those those two games. Yeah, you're just at a point where every, every consecutive loss now is like an, another. It compounds, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so... First, that that first part is just let's diagnose what's happening in in this losing streak, and it's like I said, it really it really does show up in the numbers. The 
the most egregious is that since Thanksgiving, the Wolves have the worst defensive rating in the NBA, which is 121.2. 29th is the Cleveland Cavs, who, if you've tuned in to watch them at all, are just a terrible basketball team. And they're 119. That is like a massive gap yeah. between 30th and This is and almost a month now. Almost yep. a month. 20, 22 days. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really... Um, the defense has has really been problematic. I do think it's interesting, though, that the offense is eighth over this run mm-hmm. in the whole NBA. Like they are, it, it's easy to get frustrated with this offense. I, you know, even as someone who I think I'm a little bit more pro Jeff Teague, I understand the idea of shooting all the threes. It's even for me, this system kind of can bog down. You're like, oh my God, you made seven of 43s again. This. Why are, why are you still shooting? Or why is Jeff Teague still doing this? Blah, blah, blah. But the offense is not the problem. Uh-uh. They, are, they are scoring enough to win games. It's deja vu. This feels like deja vu. It is, right? Yeah. Net rating, they're, the, they're 25th in net rating over this stretch with a minus 9.7 point differential, they're tw- which is worse than the Knicks last year. That's worse 25th than the Knicks. throughout this losing streak. Yeah. There are Five teams with a worse net rating than the Wolves when they've here. been 0-8? Yes. That's the, the Knicks, the, well, the Knicks who have been 3-7 and seven over the run, the Pelicans who are 1-10 over the run, the Warriors who are 1-9, and nine, and the Cavs who are 2-8. I mean, those are literally... <laughs> Cream of the crop. Yeah. Oh, and the, the Hawks, too, okay. who are also... <laughs> yeah, that changes everything. <laughs> awful. <laughs> so, yeah, the Wolves are the only team who haven't won a basketball game since Thanksgiving, and it's because their defense is awful. Yeah, it. Sure, I mean, it sure seems like I know you've been talking about this. They uh, got comfortable and started to try new things, and it not only has not only have those new things not worked, but it's like it's poisoned what was working, and it's caused everyone to like lose their comfort within the system, and nothing can work when nobody, you know, trusts each other, and nobody's talking to each other. That that that's just like. I mean, you can really get into defensive X's and O's, but you don't <laughs> you don't need that to to diagnose what's going wrong defensively here. I mean, watch them run back in transition and not communicate who's stopping the ball. Yeah. Who's who's guarding the the wing to the left? Which big is on which big here? I mean, there is transition defense problems that are completely communication based. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's not acceptable on a lot of different levels. That's the for the players. I mean, you got to talk. And then I think as a coaching staff, you have to hold hold players accountable for, for not doing that. Yeah. And uh, it's not happening. I think it's a, it's a little tricky given the way the, the Wolves line up positionally with kind of the two, three, four being really interchangeable. Because then two guys run back to uh, Kendrick Williams or whoever because you're like, oh, well, I just got to guard a wing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, but that, again, that's just, it's just communication and an effort. Yeah. And it's not there. And I, I agree. It's been the most absent thing, even like even worse than the defense. And obviously it feeds into the defense being so bad, but just the lack of energy and coming out flat footed every night. And it shows up most on the defensive end, but I mean, I feel like you can see it on offense too. And it's just a tired thing with this team because it does, it feels like year in and year out, their biggest obstacle is themselves and the energy that they're willing to bring to the game every single night. And it's, it's getting old because it's something that's been 
a consistent problem for five years now. Yeah, it's... And other bad teams, uh, most other bad teams are just bad. They have a bad talent or a, mm-hmm. a bad crap of talent. Like those teams I just team. listed. They try hard. A lot mm-hmm. of them try hard. Yeah, I, I don't think that... Uh, I, I always thought with the, the bad defenses of the Thibodeau era, I, did, I didn't think that the... The, the style of defense systemically that they systematically that they um, that they ran was like energy giving. Mm, yeah. It was just extremely conservative in nature, and and when you are playing a more aggressive style of defense, I think that leads to more runouts and more more kind of like inspiration into the offensive side of the ball. Sure. Whereas you know to play more conservatively is to just try and be solid and you know, lower the quality of shot of the opponent rather than like really deliver a blow of we're trapping this action. Yeah. We're, we're attacking, you know, being the, being the hammer rather than the nail. And the, this system is X's nose wise, very similar to what, what Tib, Tibbs was running, which means it is also, if I'm right here in that energy giving sort of thing, that this style doesn't, inspire energy in this group either. Well, and by similar to Tibbs, you mean like running the drop on the pick and roll scheme for the most part and like icing side pick and rolls. And it seems like they, they got, they drew energy from that throughout the first month of the season when the defense was solid and that's what they were doing. And they got energy from the fact that they were like on a string on the defensive end and Carl Anthony Towns was Mm -hmm. able to like Man, the yeah, pain. You, you, you always get energy when it's working. Yeah, well, that, I, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I think, like, you could run a really aggressive style of defense and it's still, like, you know, in the aggregate, you'd be a bad defense, but it it can, you know, kind of inspire you to, we made a big play here. Yeah. Or, you know, just just being assertive. Yeah. That, I mean. Just make it look like you're trying harder. Kinda. Right. Yeah. Right. And I don't know. I mean. It seems like they've pared back a lot of things defensively, which you know makes sense, mm-hmm. I, I think. But at the end of the day, you're you're looking at a a roster that and the rotations that you're running out don't don't in, embolden this defensive system. And outside of X's nose, I think the other number that really jumps out is defensive rebounding has been a, a huge problem. Where over this run, they are. 24th in defensive re- rebounding in the league, which is where they've always been. Yeah. And I mean, the whole, the Cats career, they've been 27th, 25th, 25th, and 25th in defensive rebounding rate. And it's no surprise that the then defensive rating has been 24th, 25th, 27th, 28th. I mean, yeah. it's, if you're not ending the possession, that, I mean, that's at the end of the day, the, the two parts, the, the two things you can do on defense are force the opponent into a more difficult shot or, and the possession. Yeah. That that's what that's successful defense. And the ending the possession element of it has 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 always been a problem. And it's uh, this is getting t- uh, being a tired narrative that I think we keep talking about is size is a problem there. Yeah. For, as it pertains to defense. Well, does rebounding. your gut tell you that I mean it obviously size is a part of the problem because even when they've had stretches of better 
defensive rebounding throughout this season, it hasn't been like fourth in the league. You know, mm-hmm. like twelfth in the league. They were pre-losing streak. They were thirteenth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, do you feel like the size is the biggest problem, or that that energy level and that kind of like mm-hmm. stick-to-itiveness is? Yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying. I don't, I don't know what the answer is because it seems like those two things could be correlated. If you're seeing it on the defensive end, I mean, it would make sense that it would also impact the defensive rebounding. You remember that Phoenix game, and it was just a ton of long rebounds. Yep, mostly because Aaron Bain shoots the ball so hard (laughs) (laughs) that if he misses it, it like lands outside of the three point arc. There's something really deflating about not rebounding as well. Yep. And and I think I think because it's hard enough to de- to defend the one possession, then to give up an offensive rebound is to say, oh, we got to do this again. And um, I thought there's a lot of that last night against New Orleans too. And I don't know what the answer is to this. So I'll ask you, like, do you think the scheme is more susceptible to long rebounds, it, or is it them not executing getting rebounds? I mean, I'm, I'm, I would guess both, but it sure seems like it could be the scheme, especially when you you read things like, what was it that Tom Haberstroh piece about rebounding corner yeah. threes in the Ryan Saunders system and sure. how they feel like they've kind of cracked this code where if you stand along the baseline, like that's where the mm-hmm. corner three rebound is going to go. It sure seems like they're purposeful about everything. Like if they are telling players where to go stand when a corner three goes up, You'd think that they're telling them where to go stand when other shots go up. And if the defensive rebounding is just that bad, even on things like long rebounds, where it's just more about like being in, having guys in all the right spots, then maybe it is, maybe the scheme is impacting it. I I think just from like a geometry perspective of it, and to isolate for pick and roll situations when you are kind of sliding not only your big, but the entirety of your offense is shifting back towards the rim, right? Mm-hmm. When when you're running a pick and roll, I think that would for sure make sense that you'd become more susceptible to long rebounds. Now, I don't know what the what the percentage of shots that become long rebounds yeah. of, of floaters versus threes or whatever that might be, but I, I would think that that element would leave you more susceptible to rebounding. And then particularly in a pick and roll, when you engage a third defender into the action by stunting over, you're leaving another player who then for him to be boxed out, you kind of need to rotate just to box him out. Mm -hmm. Even if he isn't getting hit for like the wide open corner three, I I think there's just, this scheme can have rebounding holes in it. Yeah. Um, That would be a really like, it would, you would need like a team's analytics department to do like a, a research like project on what rebounding efficiency is again in those specific types of action. But as I just look at these last eight, 10 games, it seems to be that the way that they're playing is susceptible to more rebounds. Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. I think that's a good point. It also seems like and this might just be like the most common sense thing to say, but like if your defense is breaking down so often mm. and then clean looks are going up, especially three-point shots, like when your defense breaks down, you're probably more susceptible to be out of position for the defensive for rebound. Sure. For sure. So just like by definition, if you're screwing up your coverage, then you're less likely to get the right. defensive rebound. So it's a double whammy. The, the other <laughs> side of it, to me, that's just always so frustrating, and again, this stems beyond this year, is they've always been really good at offensive rebounding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, that just seems selfish, right? You get the offensive rebound, you're probably going to score. Yeah. And that same sense of urgency does not seem to be applied to defensive rebounding with this group. So I will say, I think the coaching staff has acknowledged this mainly by playing Jordan Bell like 20 minutes a night next to Cat. Mm-hmm. That's making the team bigger. If, if being bigger is what's going to make you a better rebounding team, um, we're, seeing, we're seeing some of that. While it's not showing up in the numbers, I think that's a way to get more physical. And to be more physical would theoretically make you stronger um, on the glass. But overall, it's still a small team. Yeah. And, and I think opponents are starting to recognize that, that they can get into this Wolves team and, and move them off their spots. Yeah. And it, it's still, it doesn't, it doesn't excuse any of like an eight game losing streak because they've been small all season. Yeah, and sure. It, it was their bugaboo when they were playing well. It was how we felt like they could play even better was by like playing Noah Vonley and Carl Anthony Towns together at, d- during some stretches of the game. So there's just so much more to it. And if you're small and you don't have the energy and you're not there every night and you have all these injuries piling up, it's just not nah, <laughs> dominoes. I do want to say acknowledge the offense and and the effect. I've, we've said that before that the offense is still good. Um, they they don't turn the ball over a lot. They are a decent shooting team in terms of effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage. So while it's very annoying to see them miss six, seven in a row threes in a game, again in the aggregate of the whole product of the offense is is finding some efficiency. I do wonder though that if you're playing an opponent and they know you're playing really bad defense, does that lower their yeah, defensive like acumen in that game and make them be more content with giving up points? I think like maybe is that eighth boosted up because they're 30th, they've been 30th in defense. I think that could make sense to some extent and then you also get the like you're playing, you know, you're down by 20 in the fourth quarter starts and you score 34 points in the fourth, but right. it doesn't matter at all because you're never going to get caught up. So yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah, you just kind of boost it up with kind of semi-garbage time. Yeah, the, yeah exactly. It, the uh, pre-losing streak, they were 19th in offense, 106.5. And during the losing streak, they're up to 111.5. So five <sighs> points more per 100 possessions, eighth. That's just... Which is more it's not wh- nothing, but it's it's also more. It's not like third. Like it's more where you, I would have mm-hmm. suspected they would have, you know, kind of sat going into the season. It's not. I don't think it's like surprising. Riddle me this: how how can they be? How can they have been seventeenth in effective field goal percentage and twelfth in true shooting percentage, and still be eighth in offense? Why does that work? S- like, how can they be better than their effective field goal percentage, you mean? Yeah. Well, they get to the free throw line a lot, mm-hmm. and effective field goal percentage doesn't incorporate yeah. free throws, but true yep. shooting percentage does. Well, they're fifth in free throw rate this year, mm-hmm. and that's another encouraging right. thing. Yeah, so it's probably it's probably that. And just b- before they were, again, pre-losing streak, they were 22nd in effective and 23rd in true shooting. So uh-huh. they've made... But the ball's been going through the rim at a higher rate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just it seems to be a little bit of a separation there. Yeah. No, that does seem kind of weird. It could just be a sample sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into uh let's get into how we think this is having an impact on the the players. It was 
not a great scene on the bench and in the locker room after the game, but we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get to that. We are sponsored today by Circle Rock. Circle Rock is a menswear company that prides itself on using the best materials that are all made here in the USA. At CircleRock.com, you can get blazers, you can get a dress shirt, a vest, a winter jacket, whatever you need to get through the winter. It's cold outside. Buy a jacket. If you want to check them out in person, Circle Rock has their house of style that has recently opened in Southwest Minneapolis. You can check out their wide selection there as well. And again, you can use the zone coverage code of zone 25 and receive a $25 gift card for your next purchase at Circle Rock. Again, that's zone 25 for $25 off. All right. So Charlie last night, um, Gorgie got subbed out of the game, which is, this is a little bit talking out of both sides of my mouth. Cause I was just saying the coaching staff needs to hold, hold the players accountable when they're not, when they're not communicating or not effectively playing. Yeah. And Saunders played Gorgie for like 90 seconds in the fourth quarter. The Pelicans, I think got off its rebound, like scored two or three straight buckets and then he pulled them. And Jang just kind of like lost his mind. Akogi had to hold him back some. He took hold him back from what? I like fighting. You know, just kind of that like talking to Ryan. Yeah, he was. I doubt Gorgie was actually going to do anything, but he was just like, no, he was so. I he was lit up about it, you know, and and he wanted to like make that known, and he just kind of got grabbed and sat down, and then Covington talked to him. He sat down on the bench, grabbed like one of those kind of like protein shaker bottle, water bottles, and he just took it and like spiked it onto the ground and it shattered everywhere. And there's a whole start. I mean, it's just like, like, yep, it's been an eight game losing streak. Yeah. You know? And it's weird because he's been, Jenks been like at a great mood yeah. you know, for so much of the year. Yeah. He, he's really like a guy, pretty much everyone on the team seems to like love. And I think, isolating for him there it's like oh here's an opportunity tonight no cat i'm gonna get a start mm-hmm. play 30 35 minutes it's probably what he's thinking in his head and then i don't know he i think he played 24 maybe yeah. and it was pretty yep. pretty even split between him and the minutes bond they got as well so maybe it's some personal like personal frustration there too yeah. on top of uh, an extended losing streak and and inexplicably losing to the Pelicans who are on a yeah. long Let's, break. It, I mean, it, it, it's a bummer to see that kind of stuff. I have, I have sympathy for Ryan about that because I don't, I don't see how Noah Von Gorgijang, Jordan Bell and Carl Anthony Towns was ever going to work <laughs> unless there was, it was communicated beforehand that there could be long stretches where you don't play because we have, yeah. you know, 14 minutes of backup center play to divide. Right. And we're playing one big and we're playing one big at a time. So I have sympathy for Ryan, but it just like plays into the fact that, you know, chemistry seems to be taking a hit as the losses keep piling up. And I don't know if there's any correlation there. Like you said at the top of the show with Robert Covington, all of a sudden, ten minutes before the game, it's he's not going to start. Like what? Yeah. So I guess to apply some clarity to that, because I it was a, that was a surprise to me too. Um, ended up finding out after the game that the, the Wolves didn't shoot around that morning, so they had a walkthrough. And as I understand it, which that then happens at like four o'clock rather than the 10 o'clock shoot around. And he was late to that. So I, I don't know why he was late, what, you know, but yeah. he, he was late. So it's again, Ryan's way of 
asserting some authority, holding people accountable and, and saying, you know, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna start for us tonight. But it was, it was premeditated that he'd be in after four minutes. So he told him that he'll, nothing's going on. He'll be in in four minutes. And sure enough, he checked in four minutes into the game and it's just only natural for fans. And as judging from what I could see on Twitter, it's just everyone then assumes, Oh no, Robert Covington is now been traded. And obviously it's Covington certainly could be traded this season. That's not out of the realm of possibilities, but this was not, uh, in any relation to a trade. Have you ever heard of an, an NBA player being punished for a, a minor infraction by not starting that game and then coming off the bench? I can't think of a specific example, but I, I'm sure that's happened before. I, I, yeah, I guess I can't think of any examples either. It just seems weird. It just seems like a weird timeline to me. Like he showed up late to the walkthrough and Ryan Sanders said it was, he believes it was an accident. The reason he showed mm-hmm. up late and he's a. And Covington took accountability is like, that was fair. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. What's he going to say? And he's a crucial, yeah, <laughs> he's a crucial part of the team and he's a crucial part of the team chemistry. And he was late for a walkthrough by accident. What, what does that mean? Like you didn't know when it was going to start or you missed your alarm clock because you were napping. And so you don't start them and that's just like adding, it's just more fuel to the fire. I just, I don't understand that. If that is the timeline, if it was just some like innocent mistake for missing the walkthrough or being late to the walkthrough, why would he be pulled from starting? That seems both like juvenile and extreme. I agree. So I think there's a, I mean, there's a couple different ways you can go with it. Um, it might not have been the first time yep. that he'd been late to something. And, you know, I'd, I'd we don't know if he's at every, maybe he'd continually been coming late to stuff. I don't, I don't know that. I know he was late to, to the walk around, um, the, or walk through the, the thing to me that I kept thinking about was, and I don't know if everybody listening to this actually went and read Chris Hines story on Robert Covington and his struggle with mental health. But when, when Chris was on the podcast talking about it, the, the one thing that Chris kept saying that Cove was saying to him was last year he, he started coming late to mm. all of his, his therapies, his workouts and all that. So I, I don't mean that to like this be some like, Oh, Robert Covington's off the wagon or anything like that. Like certainly not, that's not what I'm saying. I just think he's probably the type of person that when he's less motivated for one reason or the other about the task at hand, that the way he outwardly deals with that, the way it manifests is by, you know, showing up late. And I, I would understand that's not excusable, but I, I understand that to some degree because I know for a fact the idea of once he was started being on the trade block last year mm-hmm. was something that was really hard for him. Yeah. Personally. And what was it when the O'Connor piece came out? Was that like two weeks ago? Yeah. That, uh, you know, that the Rockets are really looking into Covington and there's been more and more of reports, whether they're, you know, true or not, that the Wolves are willing to, you know, shop Robert Covington. Yeah. Like if you are Robert Covington, you hear that. Yeah. And I mean, it's been a tumultuous 12 months for him. Yeah, totally. So to, to have the idea of like, I got it, I might need to get up and move again. Yep. Like what? I signed a four year contract in Philly. Yeah. 
you know, a year ago and now I'm going to Minnesota and then I'm getting rerouted to somewhere else. I think as a human, that's probably hard to hard for him to kind of to handle. That said, that's so you signed up for in the NBA. You don't sign a four year contract to play for the Philadelphia 76ers. You sign a four year contract to play in the NBA. Yeah. And I mean, it's the, as they say, it's the business part of it. Again, I don't know if that's all what's going on, but that's immediately where my head goes to sure. when I hear that Robert Covington specifically is showing up to things late. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It was a big storyline. So connecting those dots seems obvious. And I could certainly understand that he'd be in like an unclear headspace and that that could translate it. You know, if you don't feel strong in your mental health, that that could translate in, into being late and like feeling like you don't have motivation. And I've it, done that. It's <laughs> for I, sure. I think most people have. And, but it's hard for me to imagine how then if this team that is so supportive of his quest to find a better mental well-being would like um, punish him by like pseudo public shaming him. I don't know. Like what do you get from not starting him the first four minutes of the game besides like everybody wonders what's going on. Now everybody knows I that he's that been that showing was probably up to short-sighted on, I think it was short-sighted on their part of that whole element of it, of like, you got to consider that if you bench Robert Covington while his name's floating around in trade rumors, that people are going to run. If you bench that. him at all, he's like the, he's the second best player on this team, the third best player on this team, whatever. Right. Like if you bench Carl Anthony Towns one night, people are going to wonder what's going on. Right. And there wasn't any clarity on it at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, at least. So our mind, I mean, our mind has to wander. Yeah. Like, that's a weird I don't think situation. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with people's mind having wandered. I just, I'm telling you, I, I, I know that what was going on here was him being late to something. It definitely wasn't um, a, a trade thing. It, yeah. It's what, where I think it's fair for your mind to wander is to wander into his head and be like, what's going on Robert Covington's head? Yeah. I think right or wrong, my sense of Robert Covington is he thought this team was going to be good this year. Yeah. Like, I don't think he bought into the Rosa's narrative that this is a, this is a, a rebuilding sort of year and we're, we're putting something together for down the road. And Covington was like, I'm 29. We got, I'm really good at defense. We got Cat, who is one of the best offensive players in the, in the league. I know that Wiggins can be better. Like, I, I think he, not just believe, but expected this team to be a playoff team. Yeah. And so the kind of juxtaposition of that falling apart at the same time that your name starts going into, you know, trade rumors and then maybe throw in, which we don't really know. I mean, how does he feel about playing quote unquote out of position? Mm -hmm. I, I, how I see it is that it, it marginalizes him some. Um, maybe that's how he feels. He he doesn't he doesn't say that. I mean, we've asked numerous times, and he's like, "It's no different. It's no different. I can still do all the things I can do from the four position rather than on the wing." Yeah, I don't think that's true. But but that those are those are all the things that I think are fair to speculate on when we try and get into Robert Covington's head. I'm yeah, and there are like a ton of layers to it. I wish if it was you know feeling bummed about the fact that they are on this massive cold streak, it's like, well, if it's easy for me to say, I don't know, 
what it's like to be a professional athlete, but you're a game and a half outside of the A seed right now. And like it's yesterday, wild. you had a chance to like bounce back against the Pelicans. Like if you're that bummed about falling out of the playoff picture, you're, it's not lost. Like find your groove again mm-hmm. and you'll be right back in it. You win three games in a row and people will be excited again. It, it'll be, you know, full yeah. steam ahead. We're the ace seed. We, you know, we're, we're two games under 500. We had a cold stretch. It's fine. I mean, I think that has to be the mentality. Yeah, but I, it's just too bad that it turned into the sideshow. And maybe, maybe I'm thinking about it too much. Maybe it's it's not that big of a deal, but it, it just kind of becomes one when you bench a guy like Robert Covington and in the midst of an eight-game losing streak and all of this stuff, it's like it just seems like it, it was such a low upside play to bench him. Like I don't really. I, I, I think know I think you're totally. Helps. I think you're totally fair to question it from a coach. Yeah, and I don't standpoint. know what's going on. I, I mean, I, so I, 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 to I, I, don't know. I told you everything I know. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fair. You needed to win that game against the Pelicans. Yeah, and you had you had a leg up on them. Have them. They'd lost 13 straight games. It was a back-to-back for them. I mean, it was a it was a winnable game. It was a game you were favored in, yeah. even with Cat out. And starting hot at, in the midst of an eight-game losing streak was going to be an important part of that game, especially in front of a home crowd that's like not too into the game. And when you have to start then for the first four minutes of the game, Jeff Teague, yeah. Josh Okoge, Andrew Wiggins, Trevion Graham, and <laughs> Gorgie Jang, it's like, that's a terrible lineup. Yeah, I mean, that's a it's, bad lineup. It's way worse than the Pel- what the Pelicans. Way were, worse. Oh, like, way from worse a, from a talent standpoint, for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I I think any any criticism on that is warranted. I would just think that they are applying logic to some degree to their mm-hmm. decisions. Yep. and they have all the information. Yeah, exactly. So there's probably more information, more things. Certainly. That that factor into that doesn't make it right. I mean, we've seen plenty of GMs have all the information in the world and or coaches and and still, you know, consistently you know do the wrong thing. The the optics of it, once you factor in that that game ended up being a flat loss. Yeah, it it only further exponentiates a poor vibe that surrounds an eight game losing streak. What do you think is going to be the most important thing in terms of getting them out of this slump? Not like from an X's and O's standpoint, but from more of that mentality standpoint, do you think it's, it's leadership from cat and Wiggins? Do you think it's like just get a win and get back on track? Is there something that jumps into your mind? I think, can I say like, like shooting luck? Sure. Yeah. I know what you mean. Do you remember uh, that Detroit game? Like mm-hmm. back on the, I think it was a back to back that went. It was it, this is what it was. They played Denver, and I think they made six of forty five threes. Mm-hmm. Lost in overtime. Jokic hit that shot. Then the next day they go to Denver, and I think they made eight, eight of, of nine, eight of ten threes yeah. in the first quarter. Yeah, and that seemed to be all they needed to flip a switch to get back into that system. Yeah, and like a belief in that system. That gets them playing faster. That gets them that energy, that inspiration you're talking about more. And then it shows up on both sides of the floor. Like, if they can do that, if they can deliver a punch early-ish against Denver, I think it wouldn't be hard for them to right the ship to some degree. Mm -hmm. Because you still do have the the talent, if we assume Cat plays. If, if If you can get that, get a, you know, get a wind early in the game 
And I mean, the way that this team can compete with really good teams in the league is, is not, they're going to lose the top at maybe the top end of the roster battle to the really good teams in the league. But if they have a hot shooting night, when they're shooting at that volume, you know, that's the Rockets thing, right? It gives you this math advantage. Mm -hmm. So, but given that they are void of real shooters on the team, that's, it's hard to bank on that luck at all. Totally. And and some of that is getting healthy. Like you said, Cat needs to play. Dude, the, the frequency of guys missing one game. It's amazing. It's stupid. It's like, I mean, is that their f- flu shot? <laughs> oh, no, man. <laughs> like, I got mine. How, uh, like, okay, so now, so Culver missed this one game. He's questionable to play tomorrow. I'd assume it's going to be one like that. That was Kata last week. He missed a game like that. Covington missed a game when his aunt died. Wiggins got sick and missed a game. Wiggins missed and missed another two games with uh, when his his grandmother passed away. Yep. Cat missed two games when he got suspended. I mean, all just dumb stuff. Yeah. Not not, not, not to take away <laughs> from the deaths, but like you you know what I'm saying? Where it's not like an injury. Yeah. Like random, unexpected. Random. Yeah. Random, yeah. dumb. <laughs> in that in that sense, just like the unforeseeable. Like you bake into you bake into your expectation of the players you're going to have on your team, like injuries are going to come, you know, the, even the Jake Lehman thing, like you look around the league, plenty of other teams are dealing with missing a kind of key piece Yeah. or the Napier thing, but pulled his hamstring it happens. Yeah. You can then kind of plan for, it. Oh, Napier's going to miss nine games. We're going to adjust how we use the point guard position. Oh, Lehman's going to be out for an extended period of time. We're going, we're going to like bring Kata in and try and see if he can be fill that void. When you just randomly that day find out Jarrett can't play. Yeah. That's a guy playing 30 minutes a night starting for you. Throws things off. Yeah. And then I guess then to compound the thrown offness by not starting Covington. Yeah, it's uh, – yeah. It, and, and the layman one, weirdly, like the layman, you know, with and without layman stats are just great. It's, it's, well, a, it's a funny meme. It's a good meme to me. And I – uh, the the thing I <laughs> and do, it's just gonna stick all year. Yeah, it ha- it's gonna not, stick in the numbers uh, totally. all year because since he's been out, because they're gonna start playing better to some extent, and he's gonna and come he's back gonna then happen to be in the, yeah. <laughs> but and I, he's also he does help. Yeah, like, well, he is a plus player, and on that's what roster. I wanted to say. Like, and the things that he does well are things that or or the things that he can do well are the things that they're missing to some extent, and especially with shooting. Like, if you kind of only have like three guys that are respected shooters it's way it's a way bigger deal for you to lose one of them than it is for a team with a lot of good shooters to lose one of their shooters because it's just like anything with him is i don't even know if he's a good shooter no but i do think he demands that respect when he's on the floor makes a difference from the defense yeah sure yeah and if you miss like a third of like your levers to space the floor with it's like it's just going to make everything even more difficult it i haven't done this in a while i'm gonna pull it up except basketball again basketball reference so slow just the the shooting from three percentages on this team i'm just oh. gonna go through it wiggins 33 percent cat 42 still at 42 oh my god you know what jeff teague shooting from three this year it's up but it's still in the 20s 39 incorrect what what kind of streak is he on then? Must be hot. Must be real hot. 
That's weird. That's uh, Covington, 35. Lehman, 35. Akogi, 31. Culver, 25. Graham, 22. Kata, 45. Napier, 21. The Kata one obviously stands out, but I do think there's like a little bit of encouragement to Josh Okogie at 31%. I know this is like a mm-hmm. negative thing overall, yeah. but if I'm just trying to like poke some positives, I did see the other day that Josh Okogie is shooting like 36.5% on catch and shoot threes. And I think like if we can see that tick up over the next couple of years, that's a no. That's a, that's you're a good right. sign. He's been bad though. He's been bad though. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's obviously been bad bad streak for the whole team. But again, we're ta- he another one of those injuries. Randomly had to miss the Rockets game. Who was plenty participated in shoot around and then at walkthrough before that game, his knee started bugging him, and and it was tendonitis from playing in the summer. So then he doesn't play that Rockets game, and he was the guy who was supposed to guard James Harden. Yeah. And then now all of a sudden you like throw everything off. Oh, actually we're gonna Covington, who's been our power forward all year. Now we have to slide him out to the three, and we have to then the Kate is now more in the the rotation, or we got to play two bit. It just those little things make make for small but meaningful adjustments that have have had to happen and i think they've had an unfair amount of those but they're awful at adjusting yeah that's well and they don't i mean you the roster doesn't have the pieces to adjust with mm-hmm. i mean it'd be hard to expect them to adjust when like even fully healthy they've kind of got to outkick their coverage to win yeah. a lot of these games right like i, I don't know maybe maybe you disagree with this but like Trevion Graham in this like ninth man role Totally fine with me. Yeah, with you know, me too. like come in, it su- I mean, muck it things su- up a little it bit. Suits him better. Yeah, and like I don't, I just, I don't, I don't mind that. That's like a, they're not a very good team. He's a fine ninth man. Mm-hmm. But talk about out kicking your coverage when he had to start. Yeah, and guard James Harden the whole game or Bradley Beal or whatever. It's, it's you're putting your ninth man up against the number one of the best players in the league. It's yeah. There's just consistent disconnect between what the roles these players have are and their capabilities within that role. Yeah. I'm curious, um, how do you think that Ryan Saunders is dealing with all this? Because I know, you know, with him being hired full time, a big appeal of that is he's got, you know, the the favor of all the players on this team and there's a good chance it's going to be a hard year. So at least there's somebody around who can kind of keep the Kumbaya vibes going. And when the vibes were going strong, he was kind of his reputation was a benefactor of all that rightfully so. And I mean, how do you think he's holding it all together now that it's kind of off the tracks for the first time? Like, how is he holding it together on a personal level? Like, him personally? Or how is he holding the troops together? Yeah, the latter. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say not well. <laughs> yeah. the I think it's it's never going to be go well for a um, for team on a long, extended losing streak. But it is, is interesting to – we got to you know, talk to Alvin Gentry before the game, before the, his pregame media availability – and you know he just he just named he just named it he names the losing streak like really points points out what they were doing wrong in that time and is just um, very honest and blunt about it and that might be because Gentry obviously has been around the block a lot more than Ryan but at some point I think when your team's playing really poorly for an extended period of time it is just important to to call a spade a spade yeah you know and. That's not his 
typical ethos of he's a generally positive, you know, sort of guy. And that on, as a coach is probably, this is a learning thing yeah. for him. He's learning, uh, how do I, you know, how do I deal with that? I guess he had some experience last year, um, <laughs> but with different, you know, a different set of expectations. So I, I do, Gorgie Jane can spike a water bottle. I'm sure if Ryan's really good at something, it's clear in the air. Yeah. And I'm sure they've talked and I'm sure he's talked to Covington. I mean, I don't, he, he isn't, I'd be just so stunned or would so disagree with the notion that he has lost the locker room or could lose the locker room. Yeah. Because he just had it so much. Yeah. And, and I, to give Ryan some credit, like I, I, I don't know how much of your confidence as a coach in your job security would play into the way you talk about a losing streak. Like if you feel like that's okay, I know my, you know, my GM's got my back, then you might be more willing to call a spade a spade. Whereas, and this is pure speculation, whereas if you feel like you're like coaching for your future a little bit more intently, like you might try to try to uh, make it look a little bit better. But I do think that Ryan has done a good job of to an extent, at least calling a spade a spade. Like he hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's, I I don't think he's just like throwing candy. No, I don't think he is either. Yeah. It's just different. The, the difference between him and Gentry, just personality wise, literally talk pretty much talking about the same thing. Yeah. Was, was interesting to experience in the same day. Yeah. And just how different, uh, you know, those, those two things are. I don't, I mean, just to talk to speak to the coaching to your job thing. I, I don't think Ryan has anything to be, to be worried about. I don't think there's any situation this season where he could be in jeopardy of losing his job. Is it fair to speculate about the future? Like the long term, two, three years down the road? For sure. That's yeah. the case for any coach. But you know, particularly for this team who's gonna theoretically be, you know, coming to a head in twenty twenty one or something like that. Maybe that's that's a fair line of speculation of, you know, is he is he the right coach for the twenty twenty one team? Yeah. I think he's for sure the right coach for this team or like not a definitely not a bad coach totally. for, for this group and for implementing, if you're Christian Rosas and you want to implement, if it's important to you to implement a specific blueprint, Ryan's a great coach for that. Yeah. He's, he's not an Alvin Gentry who's done things his way for a, a long time. You know, I think Christian said, this is the way we're going to do it. Um, obviously you have, you have autonomy to, on the, on the margins, but we're going to do this system. And I do believe that they're to use the buzzword align, a lot of their um, like uh, philosophical view of the game is similar, so it, it's a good kind of map, like match in that sense. Mm-hmm. Now the, the question where Ryan needs to prove his metal is, okay, we align, but can we move forward with this? Yeah, can it really become something? Totally. And to clarify, I wasn't trying to suppose that no, it's a fair question well and i just think that when you're on a losing streak like this you're gonna start to feel heat on some level and that's gonna affect the way that mm-hmm. anyone answers the questions but i i do agree with that and i would bet that rosas would probably say that he would have expected a streak you know at least almost this bad maybe not an eight game losing streak but like a one in ten stretch or like a something like that throughout the season. I just wonder if he would have expected both the in locker room and, you know, or both the angst in the locker room and throughout the fan base that has come so, you know, it's hard to say so It's here here right now. The angst part, like, 
I don't think there are particularly rocky no, but that but it was to the rest of them. The chemistry was what was supposed to allow them to outperform their talent level. That's and if what you're they starting said. to see well, they yeah. just didn't have the talent level. So if they were gonna mm-hmm. make the playoffs, yeah. some sort of togetherness, I think, would have played a part in that. Yeah. Well, and then Kat, you know, perpetuates it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like the the way I mean, he was I was there in Brooklyn the, the first game, and he's like the, the first, you know, first question you ask him about, like, kind of exceeding expectations or getting it done on the road. I mean, the first thing he says was, "You like to me, you thought the Bahamas was bullshit, and it wasn't. Like, not to me, it was to me, but like it yeah. was to everyone. He was speaking to everyone, and it's like when you when you apply that line of commentary." <laughs> Then you imply that yeah, this actually is really real, mm-hmm. and and it is why we're going to exceed our talent level. That's what Cat said. He said it, and he doubled down on it again. And now it's. I mean, I think that setting that expectation with, like you were alluding to with Robert Covington, and like Robert Covington thinks for himself, he's not listening to Cat and like getting his opinion based on that. But it sets an expectation both within the locker room and throughout the fan base that if sure. it's not met, it invites almost unneeded criticism or vitriol or whatever. Sure. Yeah. No, it's um, yeah. That, that was if you, if you say that and then you lose eight games in a particularly uninspiring fashion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's there's going to be people who are mad. That's where we're at. And that's <laughs> that's just where we're at. Let's uh let's talk about where they're going. Um Denver Portland this weekend. Uh to you want to start this obviously start with Denver, right? You think? Cuz that's the sure. point first. Um Denver is currently the 3 seed in the Western Conference. They are 18 and 8. They um are 7th in the league in net rating. 15th in offense and second in defense. That is wild to me. Yeah. That is wild. Remember game 82, Wolves Nuggets back in 1718, the Jimmy Butler year. They were that team, that team was 23rd and that Nuggets team was 23rd in defensive rating that year. Yeah. 110.2. You know what the or 110.0. The Wolves were 110.2. They were just as the Nuggets were just as bad of a defensive team as the Wolves were or whatever. Yep. And they have in two years ascended into one of the most elite defenses in the league without with marginal roster adjustments. Yeah. The reason they were labeled as this team sucks at defense and is going to be bad forever is because they pointed right at Nikola Jokic and mm-hmm. said that guy looks like a marshmallow and he's slow. It's like at least Carl Anthony Towns isn't as bad at defense as Jokic is. And it's uh, but then a similar narrative with Cat is like you're never going to be able to be a good defensive team with Cat. Yeah, yeah. And the Nuggets have have found a way, and it's, I mean, it's partially Jokic, it's partially a system, it's a buy-in of the, it's a buy-in of the group. They have good defensive pieces around him. But if you want to spin some optimism for the Wolves, that it's possible, the, the Nuggets were in a very similar situation two years ago, and this is, I mean, it's the it's the case for them being a legit. Jit contender in the West is yeah the just like the Wolves the offense is always going to be there if you figure out the defense side of the ball like yeah look out totally well I think Jokic deserves a lot of credit for that I think he's gotten so good at avoiding mistakes on the defensive end of the floor he's just become a really sound player which like 
in a weird way, maybe should have been predicted more because he's such a high IQ yep. player on the offensive end of the floor. Like he was going to figure out angles and he was going to figure out timing as a rim protector. And he's done that. And then to be flanked by uh, Paul Millsap and to, you know, pre- and, and less Jamal Murray's out there, like you don't, you're not playing defensive sieves, sieves, sieves yeah, very whatever. often. And I, I mean, it, then you add on good coaching and you just got a solid team. So it's a it's a whole group thing. And I my long-standing thing in the Timberwolves and the defense is is playing a more aggressive brand of basketball. That's not going to happen with David Vantapool here ever. I, I get that they're, they're conservative, solid is enough that those are the that is the ethos of the Timberwolves defense. The Nuggets are both conservative and aggressive. They're not afraid to have Jokic get up and out there and maybe not, not on a full, they're not going to go send him out on a full on switch onto Damian Lillard, but he's going to be up there and he's going to get into, he's going to get into Lillard's body when he's coming off of screens. And he's not going to just wait back and say, Hey, meet me at the rim because against elite scorers like Lillard, or as we've learned this year with the Timberwolves is they're going to find a way if they're an elite scorer to punish you on all levels of the floor. Even if you're giving them the analytically sound 15 foot floater, the elite guys are going to punish you there, and the and the Nuggets are willing to take risks of being aggressive with Jokic. I mean, he plays. I watching this Nuggets Blazers game. The Blazers run all these really cool slithering sort of actions, even when Lillard's off the ball to get him to get him the ball in space off of a screen, and and the Nuggets knew that, and they said, yeah, if Whiteside's going to be the guy setting the screens, we got to have Jokic get up up to touch. Yeah, and 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 he does, and why that works though is because he's got Paul Millsap behind him, stunting in. Because the biggest thing you're, you're conceding there is Whiteside in the middle of the lane. Mm-hmm. And, and Millsap's there to put a body on him, tag him. Yep. And, and you just, you, you don't get easy. The way they're using Jokic should lead to easy lobs, and it doesn't. And I just, I, I, love, I love the way that they're not, they don't, we all pigeonhole Jokic as a, a bad athlete, Poor defender. They don't believe that. Yeah. They go, you can go, you can go do these things. Plus you're smart. You're going to move into the right space. And it's like, there's two middle fingers up to the whole world who said you can never play good defense with Nikola Jokic. I, I think it's, it's excellent. And again, just an, a blueprint for the Wolves. Yeah. Talk about a blueprint. Well, they, I mean, they are a team who kind of like we talk about how the Wolves have an offensive baseline with Cat. The Nuggets always had one with Jokic, too. They were always going to be a borderline, at least a borderline top 10 offensive team with him in the game. And so presumably at some point they figured, you know, we got to figure out how to play defense around him. And they've just done that so well and they've turned it into a machine. Mm-hmm. And Paul Millsap is such a big part of that. And, you know, the, the Wolves Gary, Gary Harris at the point, too. Like, yeah, they've got... You don't need you don't need five good defenders to no, be a good defensive team, but three, be three, and then even to be able to bring in somebody like Tory Craig, mm-hmm. you know, who's not going to give you anything on offense, but he's going to hound the guy out at the point. Like they, that that's a credit to their depth of just the way they're able to like quickly and in a really shuffled sort of manner bring guys in and out outside of a real rotation structure. The Mavs are really good at that too. Carlisle just kind of goes on feel through the course of the game, but it's because he has faith in the whole like eight, nine man rotation. And then down to like, ah, this might be a Jalen Brunson game. Yeah. Being willing to like bring him in there and I'm on a Mavs tangent, but like 
That's what the Timberwolves lack is a faith in the bottom end of the roster. I mean, they could say we got a bunch of guys who try hard and good or whatever, but like there is a clear anxiety in the game when you have to, when you have to go play Teague and Napier together or like, Oh man, what are we going to be able to do defensively here? Or, you know, down, you know, down the list. And I think, uh, I don't think the Nuggets have that good of a top end of talent on their team. Yeah, I really don't. I don't even think it's, I don't even think it's noticeably better than the Wolves. Mm. I don't, the top end, the top three, the top so, three, Jokic, Murray, Harris. Yeah, Millsap might be better than Harris. I don't know. Probably not. I think Millsap is like a role player on that team that I would put in t- in the fourth. A very good, as, I guess not as good, as important. I sure. Was, I, I was more thinking. Well, th- th- let, me, let me finish my point because I think when you go Jokic, Murray, yep. Harris, you can compare that to Cat, Wiggins, Covington. I think those uh, are all three. I think those are all three similar archetypes. Let me, let me finish. Okay. The issue is, is you don't have that Millsap, the fourth guy, and mm-hmm. the rest of the way down because Millsap's presence raises that top three as, you know, as is Torrey Craig, Beasley, Morris, whatever. That's what makes the difference. But I think a top end of talent, if you're like Wiggins and Murray, I don't think is a, a, a massive gap there. I think Cat. And Jokic is a, a fair comparison. And I think Gary Harris and Covington do a lot of the same things. Yeah, I, I see that. I think there's a gap between Murray and Wiggins. And I think that Her- what Harris does, I guess this is hard to say because when, you know, when Covington, the way he was used last year, he was like critical to everything the Wolves did. But like what Gary Harris does can just be a little bit more impactful, like on a, on a good night. But Co- I don't Covington know. is more on this team in the Millsap role. Yeah. Literally. So yeah. it's like. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then now you're plugging in, you're plugging in Trevion Graham into the Gary Harris role. And, yeah. and <laughs> it's the reason the Wolves have 10 wins and the, and the Nuggets have 18. I'm, I'm acknowledging they're a lot better. I totally. Just, I mean, and, and for a team like the Nuggets, when things come up like one-off, you know, little injuries or sicknesses or reasons for missing games, they have so much depth that they can more, they, they can plug those holes with quality, whereas the Wolves can't. I mean, they, they strike me as like a team that I'd be trying to trade with because you look at guys like Malik Beasley and Monte Morris who just are hardly in the rotation. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, like how can we get our hands on one of those guys? They've, they've got a whole stock of yeah. guys who could be rotation players around the league. And again, I mean, that's, that's totally the reason why they are, I mean, they're up with the Lakers and the Clippers yeah. and the West they're in third and, and, and they deserve to be there because the whole roster emboldens the top end of it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the exact opposite impact of what happens to the wolves where I would think we could, pretty safely say that cat is marginalized on this team mm-hmm. given the amount of attention he receives and the shooters he doesn't have around him. I think we're totally learning that Wiggins is marginalized. Even downhill Wiggins is marginalized because now he's having to go through two, two and a half, three guys on his, in his pursuit to the rim. And then I think, I think Covington is marginalized too. And I mean, Covington does not get clean three point looks. No, not at all. Mm-mm. And I, it's an impressive 36%, 35%, whatever he's yeah. at. Yeah. And that was, I don't think he made, I don't, he did not shoot it well yesterday either. But yeah, I just think, I do, in my opinion, it's, it's a fair blueprint that the Wolves only have a couple of spots filled in, even from a salary standpoint, like Jokic a cat, right? Yeah. Beginning of max contracts. Uh, Murray and Wiggins are both got extent, max extensions that they probably don't deserve. Yeah. And then like. Covington and Harris are both on 
middling extensions in the teens, right? Like Covington's is better. I think he's like 11, 12 or was Harris like 18, 19, yeah, something like that. Close to 20. But like it's, it's kind of like the same archetype yeah. of salary roster construction too. So there is still plenty of work to be done for the Wolves on the margins. And that's what the Nuggets, you know, have done. But I don't know. I don't see. I don't see a huge difference. No, I I, I see the parallels there. I mean, the parallels. Yeah, parallels. Are, that's the right word. They've always been there, and I think what it really boils down to is is Carl Anthony Towns making the leap that Jokic has made on the defensive end, where he just makes mistakes less often and yep, finds himself true. in the right place more frequently. And you know, but then that begs the question: like, you know, how much of that is influenced by the fact that it's a lot easier to play defense when Gary Harris is at the point of attack than it is when Jeff Teague is, yep. and it's a lot easier to play defense when you know you have Paul Millsap behind you. I guess you know we, you have Covington, so that's something. But he's not the big body that Paul Millsap is. But, so, I mean, I don't know how much that influences Cat's ability to take that leap. But again, that's why it's we we can and we should judge this Timberwolves team, but we what they are this year, but we can't we can't judge the blueprint because the next good Timberwolves team has a completely different type of player in the Jeff Teague role. Yep. Has a completely different type of player in the Travion Graham role. Yeah. Go and on I, down the line. I heard you and Britt talking about this. I thought it was interesting to hear because I totally agree with it. Ryan Saunders say that that point of attack defense is the biggest thing that they're missing mm-hmm. alongside physicality. Because It was last year too. I, it has been for, you know, since, yeah, right. since Ricky. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, you, you can see it every night. Every night. Um, how do you think the Wolves match up with them in that game? You have any optimism that it can be? I, I, I've always had optimism against the Nuggets. I, I do too. I, mean, I really do. They've always matched up well against them and have performed well against them. I think they sneaky match up really well with them. Yeah. I think in general, I would just like it to be a Towns game. I mean, it's easy to kind of mm-hmm. say this, but like it to be like the Towns games that we were seeing at the beginning of the season where he's able to get up those 10 three-pointers just playing that dribble handoff game around the perimeter and then he's able to back it down on Jokic 10, 15 times and so be it if he draws that double team sure. and so be it if it feels like it's a little too often. Like, Cat can kind of take it to Jokic. Sure as well. No, yeah. I, I agree. And he's listed as questionable to yeah. play. Um, I Krasinski in his piece today said that um, it could be a multi-game injury. They don't know yet, but I... I don't they think clarify what it is beyond knee, knee sprain. Okay. Um, I this team is not very open with injuries. I mean, Jake Lambert day to day day to day is yeah. Wait, I mean, there, there's that they're operating within the rules. Yeah, just the rule. Uh, and it was the same way. It was the same way with Tibbs, and it was the same way with yeah. Ryan in the second half of the season last sure. year. But it's just another thing that, like, if you don't provide clarity. Mm-hmm. I've got questions. Yep, totally. And not questions. Like yeah. I get it. Jake Lehman has turf toe, but like, then you start speculating. Yeah, it's just nice to know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's and I think it's important to know too. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I I think the Wolves can win, and I I, I wouldn't be surprised if they would one of the two games against yeah. Denver or Portland. Me neither. Um, it, it wouldn't a, shock me if Cat was healthy. It wouldn't shock me if they won both of them. I, it wouldn't. Yeah. I'm not like, I've never thought the Wolves were going to make the playoffs, but I'm not like, you know, if you're crossing teams off with a with a Sharpie, I'm not crossing the Timberwolves off. No, they don't belong in the category that we highlighted them in with those yeah. other, the yeah. Knicks and the Hawks and all that we were talking about at the beginning. Like, no, I, I, I'm with you too. It's, 
the, the whole reason I think Britt said this on the last episode too was the reason he picked 34 wins was not that he thought they were going to be a bad team. He thought that they would be ups and downs in the flow mm-hmm. of the season with more downs than ups. And I, I think that's, you know, I think that's accurate. And I think they, this, this team, unlike the Wiggins and Levine teams back in the day, they do have the capability of rattling off four, five, six wins in a row. Like that could happen at some point this season again, or, or I don't know, call it win six of eight or something like that. Like sure. I, I think they have that in them. And while this is a four game road trip, you're not playing good. You're not playing well. the nuggets. I mean, respect to the nuggets, but Portland is messy and, and then the Warriors, the Warriors are awful. And, and the, the Kings, Kings aren't special. Like, yeah, it's not, it, it sh- the expectation certainly should not be four losses. No, no, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, you've got a couple of weeks here where in general, the schedule is soft and this, I mean, this might be your last ditch, like get to the new year with mm-hmm. a, like a feeling like you're on the right track and right, like so you took advantage of 10 and 16, right? Yeah, 10, so 10 and 15, 10 and 16. 10 and 16, and then, so if they were to go 3 and 1 somehow on this trip, mm-hmm. then you're 13 and 17, mm-hmm. probably like a game out of the playoffs. Yep. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, the West is... Yeah, and then you've still got, you know, a week or two more weeks there where you've got... Cleveland, Brooklyn at home. Yep. Cleveland twice in there, yeah, yep. like... This is winnable games. I think Golden yeah. State again. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. Let's talk about Portland specifically because they have been a very odd team this season. They're, um, they're 12 and 16, 17th in uh, point differential in the league. They have the 11th ranked offense and 20th ranked defense. Last year, I didn't remember this. They were, they were third in offensive rating last year. They've really taken a noticeable step back. Yeah. Um, in, in that department and then also have taken a step back in the defensive department too. Um, maybe defense you can attribute to no David Vanterpool. I would probably highlight Yusuf Nurkic yeah. <laughs> missing. Um, but Whiteside, Whiteside's problematic at the rim for them, man. Like yeah, the, in the Nuggets game, he had a two or three blocks in like the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is an absolute deterrent in the, the way that Rudy Gobert is. And we've obviously seen the Wolves play them three times. The interesting thing will be how how can the Wolves get Whiteside to play in space? At yeah, because to Gobert's credit, he was both the rim defender and he got out on Cat on the mm-hmm. perimeter. Whiteside can't do that mm-hmm. on, on Cat. So again, contingent upon Cat. Like, do you think they put Whiteside on Cat? I mean, if you're starting Carmel, Carmelo at the four, I think yeah. you, you probably have to. And I, I think it's that's gotta be it. That's just an opportunity for the Wolves and an opportunity for Cat to like. Get Hassan Whiteside to foul out of the game. I mean, like, just because if you're taking it to him, and Hassan Whiteside, on his good nights, he's a real problem at the rim, and on his bad nights, he has a lot of, like, cat, the cat of 2016, where you just chase everything, and if cat can kind of just get him to start chasing everything, Mm -hmm. if he does have to defend him on the perimeter and just start doing that, you know, pump fake and take him off the dribble and get him to run into you, like, you should really be able to set the tone in this game. You should. I think my concern comes from. I, I love. I love the the offense that the Blazers run. I was alluding to that before. With the, they do such a good job of highlighting their best players while keeping all five players engaged. Yeah, and that's just great. I think that's great coaching from Stotts. There, there will be actions that are so clearly drawn up to get Lillard, yet everyone 
everyone is involved. The multiple guys touch the ball. I mean, there's just an, an engagement in that. And that, that is what's it's foreign in Wolves sets for Cat. Maybe that's just a little bit different when it's a five. But, you know, when you're like, oh, we got we to get a bucket here. We're going to run a set for Cat. It's like everyone knows that and everyone is standing around and watching it just like we are. You yeah. Know? Um, I, I think, I think they could, they could give the wolves some problems in, in that sense. And I, what I saw, I mean, Melo played really well in this nuggets game, mm-hmm. you know, whatever revenge game, whatever that might've been. But the reason he's having success on that Blazers team is he's a super tertiary option. So he's only defended by one person. It's all one-on-one with him. Yep. And if he can get a, a first step and to his credit, his first step has been quick. He could he could score. Yeah, he can he can score efficiently um, against this team. So, particularly like if Melo hits it one or two early in the game, and then you got to press, you're pressing up on him a little bit more. Like he'll be able to blow by you. He'll be able to you know to that's that's crazy crazy as it sounds, but that's what he's doing. Yeah, and it's because other teams aren't they're not going to be leaving McCollum. They're not leaving um, Lillard on the perimeter, and it's just yeah, it's this perfect little setup where. Mel gets to play street ball, like totally. I was gonna lead by asking you how you think the Wolves um, will defend McCollum and Lillard because that's like the natural first question. But if like, do you think it'll just be Covington and Carmelo? Yeah, yeah. And so, how do you think they'll defend? I mean, it's just uh, not not what I would do. I I I. But you think will happen? Well, th- what we're seeing is take the Clippers game. I mean, they were willing to play Jared Culver, Wiggins, Okogi. Out mm-hmm. on George and Kawhi and and keep Covington off. I mean, he would get in the mix a little bit, and then in the fourth quarter, they said, "Okay, Covington, you go take Kawhi." Mm-hmm. Like it, they're using him as a defensive stopper against perimeter players situationally, not as his baseline defensive matchup. So, no, I would be shocked to see Covington come out and slap the floor for the CJ McCollum yeah. matchup. It's just. They're gonna they're gonna probably let Jeff. Well, I guess Jeff T won't st- start. No, just Culver and Okogi. Culver, Culver, Okogi, and yeah, or I mean, and Wiggins could. Go, the, Wiggins it's on all, base it's more. So, well, it's just interchangeable too. That we were talking about before the transition defense. It's like there aren't specific assignments. Yeah, like the wings guard the wings. Yeah, and the bigs guard the bigger. You know, interchangeable on the bigger players. Um, but yeah, then when Jeff T checks in the game, he's gonna be guarding Damian Lillard or yeah or CJ yeah or CJ. It's just. There's been no hiding Jeff Teague. No. Which is another reason why this team's 30th in defensive rating. Yeah. Um, I, I weirdly feel better about the Denver game. I I know what you mean. I don't... I mean, I think that's probably dumb, but I just... It's always been... What, the, just the way those two teams play. Yeah. I think there's also a history element to it. Like, you're biased by all the games you've watched this Timberwolves team or or other iterations yeah. of it play against these teams, and it's just generally been easier against the Nuggets than it has against the Blazers in the past, at least based on my memory. And and we know that Cat has <laughs> loves to turn it on when he's against these centers. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't always lead to more effectiveness, yeah. but he certainly tries harder if Embiid or Jokic or Gobert are the the guy that he's he's going up against. So I don't know. That theoretically could give them a boost. I just it's for sure going to be two losses if he doesn't play. Yeah. Like that's a, I mean, they scored how many points did they end up scoring last night? Like 99. Maybe? It's, a, it's incredible against a team that couldn't stop anybody. I know. Yeah. I mean, they just can't score without cat. Yeah. So it's, 
the weekend has the and the, the whole road trip has potential to have to be both intriguing and effective if if cat plays. If not, I mean, we're talking about nine, ten, eleven, twelve losses. I don't know. I don't even want it. To, it's going to be a real. Where are we? Yeah. Situation if they they come back to Target Center to play, I think it's Cleveland, and it's been twelve straight losses, and then the team's ten to twenty. I mean that. I just, Let's cross that bridge when we come to yeah, it. That, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's uh, that's Charlie Johnson. I'm Dane Moore. We I will be back on uh, Monday with a pre-Christmas episode, and then again next Thursday. We'll see what uh, transpires over the weekend, and that's what we'll be talking about. Thank you for sticking with us. Again, as always, it does help when. Um, you do give a rating and review to the podcast uh, on on iTunes, and again, it's just it's cool to uh, and appreciate the the positive commentary that we we've gotten there. This is this year from I think this podcast has a better record than the Timberwolves does. Yeah, I, I, really, I feel I feel I feel good about uh, where we're going with this. More and, wins, <laughs> we have more wins. Um, it's it's been fun, and I I want. <laughs> I don't know. I want everyone to to keep listening, even if the the losses pile up, and we'll find ways to to make it engaging. Whether it's you know talking about around the league or mm-hmm. or, um, or different sort of trades, I think there's going to be plenty of uh, speculation and intrigue with that as the year goes on. So thank you again for listening. That's Charlie. I'm Dane. Till next time. Peace out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.